0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights. All in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. You're watching Sportbox. We are live from the Bank of England and of course CNBC HQ here in London. And here are your headlines.
1: Well, the fragile pound has bounced off its record lows as both the UK Treasury and the Bank of England attempt to calm markets amidst a brutal sell-off in guilt.
0: A wave of volatility hits global markets with the Dow entering bear market territory and the S&P 500 recording its lowest close of the year. Chatham House Senior Advisor Jim O'Neill tells CNBC assets are following the lead of at least one institution. Obviously, with the Fed getting even tougher and the the dramatic repricing of the the front end in the US, the, the foreign exchange market is simply following the message of the Fed. Meanwhile, a trio of Fed officials repeat their pledge to control inflation, with Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester acknowledging the painful steps to come. We will speak to the Chicago Fed president, Charles Evans. That is a first on CNBC at 9.30
2: Central European time. And the World Bank is slashing its 2022 growth outlook for China, warning it will lag behind its Asian peers for the first time since 1990, as data shows profits at the country's industrial firms continuing to decline amid COVID restrictions.
0: A very warm welcome to the programme, everybody. Uh, The pound sterling has recovered some ground after hitting record lows against the greenback. Both the UK Treasury and the Bank of England attempted to calm markets yesterday, with the central bank saying they are monitoring financial markets very closely and, quote, will not hesitate to adjust interest rates if required. The statement followed speculation that Governor Andrew Bailey could be forced to announce an emergency rate hike amid chaos in the currency and fixed income markets. Well the UK finance minister Kwasi Kwarteng said the government will outline its medium-term fiscal plan on November the 23rd alongside growth and borrowing forecasts amid investor concern over the sustainability of the country's public finances in the wake of last week's mini-budget. Kwarteng also confirmed there will be a budget in the spring, with a further Office for Budget Responsibility forecast to come. Germana is down at the Bank of England for us this morning. Um, Germana, unlikely I would think that we're going to hear anything more from the bank today, but how useful do you think the statement was yesterday in calming speculation on the pound?
1: You know, I'm actually just going to take a step back, Jeff, and walk viewers through the succession of events that led us to that statement yesterday because it it wasn't just a one-off thing. Obviously, this had been snowballing from Thursday, not even the day of the budget. So Thursday, we had this delayed Bank of England meeting. Markets were expecting them to go for a 75 basis point hike and they only hiked 50 basis points. That was the first disappointment to the pound and to the gilt market because it was not good for inflation expectations. If you go in into a meeting thinking that the Bank of England are going to go slightly more aggressive and they deliver less well, that's going to be perceived to be disappointing for guilt investors and also for the uh, sterling market as well. So that was the first blow to the pound. Followed up the next day, you had this so-called mini budget, the growth budget delivered by the UK government uh, delivering £45 billion worth of unfunded tax cuts. This is the biggest amount of unfunded tax cuts they've introduced since the 70s which implied an extra seventy billion pounds worth of borrowing that's more than three percent of GDP worth again not met well at all by global markets as specifically the guilt market sold off about 45 basis points by the end of the day the pound was about three and a half percentage points weaker and for the first time you actually got the sense that investors were getting worried not just about the cyclicality of interest rates going up and down or, or dealing with the inflation issue but actually structural issues to do with the UK's fiscal outlook and its public finances outlook, debt-to-GDP ratio. That continued overnight in early Asia trading. Monday morning, the pound dropped to record lows, 103.8 around there. Uh, The 103 handle did bounce on some murmurs in the market that the Bank of England may actually do something and come out with this emergency rate hike. Now, at around 5 p.m. yesterday, we did get a statement out of the Bank of England. They did not hike rates, but they did say that they are monitoring the situation very, very closely and they will not hesitate to do what it takes to bring inflation back to two percentage points again. So essentially they're pushing the decision back to that November 3rd meeting. Right now the markets are pricing in 166 basis points worth of hikes for that November 3rd meeting, so we've come a very, very long way, especially given they only hiked 50 basis points last week. And just to give you a little bit more context, at the beginning of the year, the markets were only expecting inflation, sorry, um, the interest rates to peak at 1.5 percentage points back in February. Now the market is pointing to uh, the neutral rates actually hitting, uh, well, not the neutral rate, the peak rates hitting six percentage points. Just to give you an idea of how far we've come in terms of these interest rate expectations. On the flip side, we've also heard from the Treasury as well, and they're saying, well, look, we've released our mini budget. This has been a growth budget. It's put together to encourage supply side reform. But in November, November 23rd, we're also going to deliver another budget, this one to talk about our medium term fiscal plans and how we're going to bring that debt to GDP ratio uh, back under control again. The thing is, many investors are watching what is happening, what is unfolding, and And as I alluded to, the question now in the UK is not just about the cyclicality of it all, but really about some more deeply embedded structural issues and whether or not this government can get a grip on public finances at a time when the Bank of England has to be hiking rates anyway because inflation levels are so high. It is a very, very tricky situation.
2: Yeah, it is. And, and first of all, let me say well done for jumping on another OB after you. I left you at uh, I think Heathrow at quite late last night. So well done for uh, being down the Bank of England. Does uh, not easy. Uh, secondly, um, how much is the Independent Bank of England working with the? exchequer at the moment as well and i think this is a really interesting question uh, for our viewers because of course during the erm and during the great financial crisis there were enormous and very valid concerns that the regulatory authorities the bank of england and indeed the Treasury, the the tripartite authorities governing British finances were not working together. Now, despite the fact the Bank of England is independent, we understand that Kwasi Kwarteng uh, wants the Bank of England on a a very tight rein at the moment with multiple meetings on a regular basis uh, with the Governor of the Bank of England. Are they working in concert? Because the markets will really feel um well, let me put it another way they will feed on any uh, rumors and reports and actually there's chaos between these two key authorities
1: i think it's a very valid question uh, worth noting of course that the bank of england did achieve its independence in 1997 so if you a lot of people have been trying to draw comparisons to what happened in 1992 with erm black wednesday that was a different situation obviously the bank of england are independent now uh, the incoming governments had been very critical this trust the prime minister had been very critical of the bank of england and that they had failed to deliver on their inflation mandate throughout the campaign but we did hear from the chancellor on friday and he reiterated uh, their pledge to keep the bank of england as an independent institution and i think the, the statement that the bank of england put out yesterday they were sort of cornered by the market by the investment community to do something but I was speaking to a lot of participants before the fact and there was a sense that they would have to do something but not many people were convinced that it was right for them to actually go in for an emergency rate hike. Why? Because, number one, it smells a little bit of desperation given that they had just had a Bank of England meeting a few days before. And number two let's say in a situation they go for an emergency rate hike of 50 basis points 75 basis points you get a bit of a floor under the pound but then it starts dropping again because of these other structural reasons that we highlighted that's a big issue it's a big it becomes a credibility issue an even bigger credibility issue that the bank of england some would say already have so they essentially put out the statement saying look we're obviously aware of what's happening we're monitoring it very very closely but all of these decisions are going to have to be made at our um, scheduled meetings, and those are the next one is scheduled to happen on November the third. So, uh, they, the, in a way, them putting out that statement yesterday, Steve, is their their way of reiterating their independence. I'm sure different market participants will interpret it differently, but you know they had to say something. At the same time, they're not going to get strong-armed into delivering on an emergency hike to support a currency that you could say was. Precipitated, you know, the, the last five, four, four five percentage points were persip- precipitated by the government's mini budget.
2: Nice work, Jumana. We'll catch up with you a little bit later on. Thanks very much indeed, as well. Uh, morning, Geoffrey. How good, are you?
0: Good morning. Nice to see you back from Italy.
2: Although <laughs> I didn't expect to see you in today.
0: No, no. I thought no, no, no. you'd get a little break between the uh, Italy OB and uh, coming back into the office.
2: Um, in terms yeah. of. Uh, what? Wishful thinking. Right. Uh, in, in terms of what happened. What? Uh, Pound-mageddon, Pound Mageddon. Pound. Pound Mageddon should of... be
0: across the headlines. Do you know what's amazing it? is. Do you
2: know where you were on the it, day
0: that Pound Mageddon well, happened? Well, I do know.
2: I was in the credit leon a trading room yes. back in 19 are you talking about this one well yes or, or 1967 maybe yeah well where was, were you you were probably just a twinkle i wasn't even a twinkle mate
0: right <laughs>
2: <laughs> No, but uh, but it, it's all vaguely familiar what comes yes. around goes around i yes. think it was actually quite an interesting i, I think the timing of this government mm. is the worst thing but there's a lot of experts all of a sudden on the pound isn't, isn't there a lot of experts on Amazing. Are, 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 on fiscal stance of governments it, it, yes. it's gone from the 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 Discerning readers of the financial pages, right to the front page of what the Daily Mail, the Sun. There's a lot of experts yeah. out there all of a sudden. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? Yeah. And yet, what you
0: what you get is very superficial analysis. It seems to me. Um, Jemana's absolutely right. I think the market looked at the statement from the Chancellor and the fact that that 47. Billion, was it 45 billion in tax cuts? Appeared to be unfunded. So there was no explanation as to where that money was going to come from. But I think it is poppycock. knew where it's going to it, come from. It, well, The point is that I think that this was rushed out without the Chancellor and the the current team in government coming up with what appeared to be... It didn't even have to be a very credible plan. It just had to be a plan for how it was going to be funded. So they they could have actually said that instead of making us wait until November. But anybody that tells you that what happened to the pound or what happened to the gilt market was only about the chancellor's statement Nonsense. is basically Nonsense. missing the bigger picture. missing decades of history uh, in how the financial economy works. And effectively, you've only got to look back to the the financial crisis of 08 or the financial crisis of 2000 or the financial crisis of 97 and so on and so on and so forth to see that every time we've had one of these moments in time, it has been precipitated by the Federal Reserve tightening monetary conditions globally and that's the reality here isn't it because as much as i expect charles evans and all the fed speakers are going to say we are changing interest rate policy for the u.s economy the fact that they have the privilege of a reserve currency that everybody needs to own to transact oil or commodities gives them an extraordinary privilege and every now and again they forget that privilege in America and they think that we're tightening conditions for the US economy because that's what's right you're tightening conditions for the, for the global economy, economy and at some point something breaks yeah. as Lehman Brothers broke in 2008 as the Thai bar broke back in 97 well. as the dot-com market broke yeah. In 2000, yeah. so has the Fed just broke the pound, yeah. or broke the gilt market, or broke the krona, well, or broke the one or broke all of those currencies that have
2: fallen as much as the yeah. pound has in the recent uh, but period? But what is amazing is, and, right. and all of the above, and you and I have discussed this a hundred times over the years as well. But, but, but I, I kind of think feeling that the, the thing that the British government did worse, and despite yeah. the fact that it was unfunded tax cuts, unfunded fiscal spend, look, when it's always funded it's a mm. question of what, what price it's funded, whether it's funded by growth or whether it's funded uh, by increased uh, debt issuance as well. Now obviously in this case it's the latter but hoping for the former at some stage in the medium term. That is the Tory strategy this time round as well. Mm. But, but I would say the biggest crime uh, of this government is as you say, A, they rushed it out, B, they didn't say how they're going to pay for it, but C The timing is rubbish. If you have, if you're sliding down a slope on global markets, Mm. this wasn't just about the pound. If anyone thinks this is just about the gilts and the pound, then they're not looking at the bigger picture. And I've got to say, there's a lot of UK commentators saying it's all about the Tories. It's all about what they're doing fiscally. It's not. Look at all those other currencies that Jeff mentioned. Look at what's going on globally. Look at where the euros come from. Look at other bond yields out there as well. This is a global phenomenon on the base of what Mr. Cutmore just said about interest rates in the United States. But the other point is, when you're on a bit of a slippery slide, and this is happening to you amongst others as well, you don't pour oil on that slide to make you slide down further. And that's kind of what the government did yeah. with its timing on this. And, of course, something that I don't know if you've spoken about, I was all busy with all Italian stuff as well. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, the government, uh, the Bank of England is having a quantitative tightening at the moment. So they're putting even more gilts onto the market at a time when there's going to be way more issuance. So mm. add what the Bank of England was doing. That's my, really my point to Jumana as well, is that you've got the Bank of England doing one thing in terms of releasing gilts onto the market at a time when actually there's going to be a vast amount more guilt issuance as well. The world's swimming in gilts. No wonder the yield's picked up and... There's obviously these comparisons now with uh, international paper, including the BTPs. Well, Mm. we don't have an ECB backstop that says, well, we will Mm. not let the spread get to a certain level at the moment. So Mm. the largesse from other economies that have got 150% debt to GDP Mm. is backed up at the moment by an ECB. We don't have that in the United Kingdom as well. So the greatest crime, I would say, of this government at the moment is being tone deaf to what's going on in global markets.
0: No, absolutely. And look, if you want to get very Machiavellian about this... Well, I've just come from Italy. Let's do some... The Prince, let's do it. You know I love a conspiracy theory here. Um, In a sense, this is pushing on a lot of open doors. Absolutely. You've got the world's second largest economy, China, which is now a serious threat to America's dominance, which is experiencing a huge debt bubble in its property market. And a growth problem. And a growth problem. And it has yet to demonstrate that it can escape from that middle-sized economy problem that all economies go through where they need to find the next leg of productivity. They need to move up the value chain. They need to demonstrate that they can be more than a low cost manufacturing hub for the world. China has yet to demonstrate that. And along the way, it's caught the Western disease using a credit card without explaining how you're going to pay for that. So at a time where the United States is extracting liquidity from the global economy by tightening interest rates when everybody has lots of dollar denominated debt inevitably you mm. are putting a lot of pressure on those economies so yeah. you know if you want to be machiavellian about this this yeah, is only always. going to speed you up mean journalistic this is going to speed up the process of deglobalization if anything i mean harold wilson back in 1967 said the pound in your pocket is worth as much today as it was yesterday and of course if you only transacted in pounds that was perfectly fair if you had to buy anything from abroad or you had to go on holiday or go uh, travel abroad or whatever then of course it wasn't the case so all of this just increases the desire of countries to reduce the balance of payments problems they have re onshoring And the other reality to this, and this is not so much a conspiracy theory, this is just a statement of fact, the world's been living beyond its means for a very long time. Well,
2: if only- and if you
0: cut interest rates to negative or zero, as we have done, to deal with the 2008 financial crisis, what do you expect is going to happen?
2: Well, if only there'd been a show out there and a couple of commentators had talked about debt over the years and about how. That inflation was building up during the uh, post-COVID times. If only there had been a show that had actually talked about debt. Well, I'm sure I'd read it on the front page of some of these genius commentators for a couple of years. Have we never? Met- Why didn't we talk oh, about de- debt? Debt doesn't matter, Steve. What? As long
0: as the servicing costs are low. Well, the servicing costs well, are not going mean, to be low. Like, for are, much are we talking longer? about the
2: ones who criticised <laughs> you and I in 2006, or the ones who criticised us in 2020? Because it's the same blooming cycle, isn't it? Yes. Oh, dear. Well, anyway, I I hasten to add, I I don't know why we bother, Jeff. There's a lot of brilliant commentators out there who suddenly, all of a sudden, knew all about this. They're all on Twitter, apparently. They're all on Twitter. Yes, they are, aren't they? They're all blocked. Uh, Right. Okay. Uh, this is what happened to the U.S. markets yesterday. It was actually way better than it could have been. But just talking about Jeff pushing on an open door as well. A lot of these declines were happening way before this sterling crisis. So if anyone in the UK is just looking at their own misery, look at what's going on in the globe. The Dow is now down 20.8% from its record high. The S&P down 24%. The NASDAQ down 33%. The, uh, the dollar index, again, just pushing on that open door, has been up five out of five sessions in a row. Should we have a look at the treasuries and where we are on that? again? We talk about the guilt yields picking up, and it's true. They're picking up for all kinds of domestic reasons, all kinds of valid reasons, okay? No one's poo-pooing the idea that actually it is isn't an obvious trade at the moment, given the concerns about the UK fiscal position. But don't think, well, 20-year there, 4% on the 20-year, 3.9% on the 10-year. Look at the two-year as well, 4.3%. That is nothing to do with the pound. This is what's going on on a global basis as well. Let's have a look at the European yields as well, which, of course, have the uh, transmission protection instrument or the anti fragmentation instrument protecting them as well uh, have we have we got the european yields thank you very much well done team you got there eventually uh, let's have a look so what have we got we got 2.1 have i got to do the maths to- oh actually hang on a second if this is right that's interesting is this right 2.1 there and 4.7 I'm, well if that's right that's interesting because what are we now what's 4.7 minus 2.1 everyone it's 2.6 isn't it isn't it? <laughs> it's 260 basis points, yeah? Well, that's way above the comfort zone for the anti fragmentation tool. So, are we going to see it swinging into action today? 2.1 minus 4.7 is 2.6, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, what are we doing? Maths with Steve now? Is <laughs> what, this, I'm saying is is, what I'm saying is the 220 to 235 spread yes. for the BTPs over Bundes as well yes. is looking like it's blown out as well. But that must be down to what's going on on the gilts as well. Well,
0: uh, as long as the Germans are happy to continue to fund the rest of the Eurozone, then they'll be fine, won't they? I mean, the reality, as we've discussed, is of the G7 countries, the UK is... Ahead of at least five of those countries in terms of its debt to GDP. And yet that hasn't stopped the market taking on the pound here. So if you look at Italy or France or Portugal or Canada or the United States or a whole slew of other countries, they're well into the 100% debt to GDP club here. But as long as the Germans are happy to continue providing that backbone in the eurozone, everything will be. So
2: you're okay. saying, Liz, Liz Truss, going, why else? Why are you picking on us? We're, <laughs> yeah, we're just joining the 100 <laughs> percent club.
0: Why, what's our problem? Well, I mean, they, they don't have the they don't have the shield, the of shield the, of the uh, reserve currency or the shield of the TPI. Exactly. Wow. Um, the uh, Federal Reserve. Then officials remain adamant that the U.S. central bank must continue on its hiking path to stamp out inflation, even in the face of volatile market conditions and the threat of a possible downturn. The new head of the Boston Federal Reserve, Susan Collins, admitted she expects hiring to slow and unemployment to rise as the Fed continues to tighten, but stressed she still thinks the economy can avoid a recession. Meanwhile, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester said further hikes lay ahead, and that monetary policy will need to remain tighter for longer to stop inflation becoming entrenched. And Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic told the Washington Post event there should be no doubts around the Fed's focus on tackling price pressures. We're in a place where we know inflation has gone up rapidly and it has been enduring, and we've got to take that on board. And I think what you've seen is us doing just that, uh, and I think there's still some more work to do in that front, but uh, no one
1: should doubt our resolve to, to get inflation under control.
0: Yeah. Well, later this morning, we'll be speaking to Chicago Fed President Charles Evans. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview at 9.30 Central European time. Chuck Self joins us, CFA and Chief Investment Strategist at Tandem Wealth. Chuck, good morning to you. And thanks for giving us your time this morning from Phoenix. Good morning. Um, what, do, what do you think investors should be doing right now if they haven't already got more defensive in their portfolios?
3: Well, they should still be d- defensive. The, when you look at it historically, you don't get bottoms in the U.S. market until housing bottoms and a purchasing manager indexes bottoms, and they have, they don't look like they're bottoming at all. You got to remember that there's a lag in what happens to the real economy from what the Fed and other central banks do. And that lag is just starting to show up. Uh, and uh, we, we are expecting unemployment is going to uh, increase as margins for companies decline. And so uh, you, you, you need to be defensive. You could start uh, looking at um, when you're going to get into the uh, treasury market, but it's going to be a while before uh, U.S. stocks bottom out.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating one because there is an obvious trade here to start moving back into treasuries. In expectations that the Fed will have done its work in damaging growth in the US raising uh, 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 unemployment as you say and cooling the housing market the question is timing on this stuff Chuck and the and the Fed seems to be in a real hurry to get interest rates up here how soon do you think you can pivot to bonds
3: well, we uh, we believe in the Fed and, in essence, whatever the Fed says they're going to do, they're going to do. And so we believe this could be 75, 50, and 25 as the next three and that they're likely to stop. Unfortunately, market participants have believed that the Fed was going to pivot next year and start decreasing interest rates. And they're finally figuring it out that that's not likely to happen. And so that's why we think we're we're closer to the top. Uh, we we want to see continued market reactions um, and, and not try to call the top, but uh, we think that we're close to the top and investors should start looking at treasuries. So treasuries will rebound first before stocks. That's the way the, the markets work. And so uh, treasuries should be looked at here.
2: So I got it, Chuck. Good morning to you. Nice to see you, sir. Um, but yeah. then, what's wrong with the forward-looking mechanism from the stock market? We're down 33 percent on the Nasdaq. We're down 24 percent on the S and P. If it was working itself out correctly, surely this is a very interesting opportunity to start picking up stocks. Have we just got to wait for the earnings recession first, Chuck?
3: Well, if you look at post-World War II uh, bear markets, you find that on average they last a year. And on average, they go down over 30% when we look at the S&P 500. Well, it's only been nine months uh, since the top at the beginning of the year, and uh, we're down, as you indicated, only in the low 20s. So if we were gonna even go to the average decline, we still would have a uh, ways to go. And given, again, that we are not bottoming out on these some of these leading indicators, such as housing and purchasing managers, uh, we, we think that investors should be very cautious here.
2: Yeah, all right. That's, that's absolutely valid, Chuck, as well. But what in terms of this growth sector? Jeff and I were talking earlier about one of the, the big events of the 20th century, and that was the dot com bubble burst as well. Are mm. we where we need to be in terms of reality and the reality check in terms of some of these growth companies that haven't made money during the good times and can't make money now that interest rates have picked up?
3: Well, the, it depends on where you are as far as the growth sectors are concerned. For instance, uh, we are o- overweighted in healthcare care uh, because uh, here in the U.S., the health care situation goes on, whether the economy goes on uh, or not. And then there's uh, selected companies uh, like TJX, that is a uh, retail brand that has a treasure hunt experience in uh, from T.J. Maxx, Marshalls, and HomeGoods. And they're able to take advantage of the bloated inventories that retailers have. And it fits their model, especially as we're getting into the holiday season. It's selling below its five-year average PE. And we think uh, selected names such as T.J.X should be bought.
2: Good man, Chuck, nice to speak to you today, sir. Thank you very much indeed for giving us uh, your views uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, brilliant. Okay, right, Chuck Self, CFA, Chief Investment Strategist at Tandem Wealth. Coming up on the show, Italy's right-wing alliance wins the election with almost all the votes counted. We'll have some more next, and the podcast, for more insight and analysis on Sterling's slump and the turmoil hitting uh, the UK and global economies. Uh, subscribe to the Squawk Box Podcast, Squawk Box Europe podcast, uh, available whenever you wherever you get your podcast. I don't know where you get them from, but wherever you get them from, it's there.
0: The World Bank has cut its 2022 GDP forecast for China to 2.8%. That's down from June's 4.3% projection. That would put Chinese growth below other developing economies in the region for the first time since 1990. Chinese industrial profits fell by 2.1% between January and August amid Covid lockdowns and jitters in the property sector. Profits declined in more than half of the major sectors surveyed, with mining
2: companies particularly hard hit. Uh, Georgia Malone's centre-right coalition has won the Italian election, notching just under 44% of the vote for the Chamber of Deputies, with almost all the ballots counted. Coalition partner Matteo Salvini said he expects the bloc to shrug off Italy's reputation for short-lived governments. Uh, well, he's, he's destroyed one or two in his time, has isn't he? Uh, eyeing a five-year term for the alliance. Let's just see what happens there. Uh, the leader of the Lega party, that's Salvini, added that he was looking forward to building a coalition government with the Fratelli d'Italia and their leader, Giorgio Maloney. Politically speaking, it seems to me that the opposition has been rewarded. The Brothers of Italy provided a strong opposition. Let's say that for the league, for the league's electorate, for the league's militants and for the league's mayors, being in government with the Democratic Party, with the Five Stars movement and with Draghi for almost two years, obviously wasn't easy. Just to confirm, it, this is the bloke that blew up the Conte government, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> OK, right, just so we know who's <laughs> who. Uh, meanwhile, from the same party, oh, a big up from the Brothers of Italy uh, party, a lawmaker said the party's plan to change the Italian constitution uh, was key to making progress in the country.
0: The Italian constitution is an important constitution, but one has to remember that this was born in a very crucial moment. We had just come out of a dictatorship, from a bloody war. In that international context, there were risks. You'll remember the world was divided into two blocks. The constitution was particularly prudent on a few aspects. We can see this in the debate and relations ahead of the emergence of the constitutional text during the discussions in 1947. It was particularly cautious, sacrificing efficiency to prudence. We need to remove those obstacles that damage citizens. But we'll do this together. The more the rules are discussed, the better.